Have you ever heard a, uh, a talk or sermon or a story that just stuck with you? Something you could still remember 15, 20 years later? Well, I have. I, I remember very specifically a talk that I heard when I was in college. It was a talk that was given by a retired foreign missionary, a man who'd spent decades of his life in Christian ministry, and now he was talking about what he'd learned along the way. And what really stood out to me about what he said was what he had to say about prayer. He told us that prayer can be dangerous and that we should be careful what we pray for. Because when we pray, he said, we may not even know what we're asking for. And then to explain a little bit, he, he told us about his own experience. When he was a young man, he had prayed and asked God to make him a man of true faith. And he asked God to do whatever it took to make that happen, even if it meant taking away the things that he loved. And then he told us that God had indeed answered that prayer slowly over decades of his life, and that the answer to that prayer had often come in the form of crisis and loss. He'd experienced severe financial crisis and lost the security and stability that comes from having money in the bank. He had experienced the death of loved ones and had lost the meaning and joy that they had brought to his life. He'd experienced later on in his life severe health problems and he lost the strength and vigor that he had long just assumed. And now looking back over all of this loss, now he'd come to see it as a blessing and as an answer to that prayer that he prayed when he was young. Because slowly over time, God had refined him and God had used his losses to teach him faith, to strengthen his hope, to, to direct his loves. And now he said, as he was talking to us, now he was grateful. But when he had begun to pray that prayer as a young man, he had no idea what a dangerous thing it was that he was asking for. He couldn't have known then what it would cost him. This week, I was reminded of that retired missionary story when I came across a statement by the theologian David Cupp who was talking about the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. And he said, This prayer is dangerous because when Jesus is teaching his community to pray, Your kingdom come, he's teaching them to pray for the end of the world as they know it. Well, that sounds like a surprising thing to say, but it's worth thinking about. Do we really know what we're asking for when we pray, Your kingdom come? Are we aware of what that might cost us? And is that something we really want? Well, let's start with that latter question. Is this something we really want? To pray for a kingdom, after all, is to pray for a king. But why should we want a king? That's a particularly poignant question for Americans like me. After all, our country was founded on the principle of representative government specifically because of the abuses that we suffered under a king. What was it that Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence about that, that long train of abuses and usurpations? 
designed to reduce a people to despotism? That's why the American founders rejected a king, because they didn't want to give up their freedoms for the authority of a despot. And that's often what kings are, abusers, despots, tyrants who claim authority over your life and restrict your freedoms. Now, of course, to be fair, this isn't a modern discovery. Ancient people knew just how tyrannical kings could be. In fact, when the people of Israel asked for God to give them a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's exactly what Samuel warned them of. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cookers and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, the tenth of your grain and the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. In other words, Samuel is saying, be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it, and you might not like what it costs you. And yet, every time we say the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're doing. We're asking for a king. Specifically, we're asking for God to be king. The question is why? Why ask for this? And what will it cost us? Interestingly, the phrase, the kingdom of God, never once appears in the Old Testament, which might lead you to think it's a novel concept that Jesus himself made up. But actually, while the Old Testament doesn't use that specific phrase, it does talk about God's reign as king. Take the Psalms, for instance. There's a phrase that occurs frequently in the Psalms. In Hebrew, it consists of only two words, Yahweh Malak, which in English translation means the Lord reigns or the Lord is king. It's a statement and announcement that the God of Israel is king. And when it's used in the Psalms, it's a cause for celebration. Like in Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Or Psalm 146, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Or Psalm 47, God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. If these ancient songs are any indication, it seems that the people of Israel weren't at all ignorant of the kingdom of God. To the contrary, they wrote poems about it. They sang about it. They celebrated it. When they heard the announcement that the Lord reigns, that he is king, they took that to be very good news because, as, as one theologian put it, because they were a people who lived with a constant awareness of chaos knocking at the door. And sometimes that chaos took the form of natural disasters, famine or drought or storms at sea. Sometimes it took the form of political threats, hostile nations, oppressive rulers, moments of national crisis, that sort of thing. And then other times, the form that the chaos took was injustice and immorality that threatened to destroy Israel from within. The rich taking advantage of the poor, rulers abusing their authority with impunity. 
widows and orphans, the, the most vulnerable members of society being left to fend for themselves. That was the chaos that knocked at the door of the ancient Israelites. And that was why they were so joyful when they heard the declaration that the Lord reigns, because it meant that they had protection from this chaos, that there was someone, someone reigning, someone coming who would set things right. And that's also the reason why we today should pray for God's kingdom to come, because we too live in a world where chaos knocks on our door. We may not be as vulnerable to things like drought and storm as those ancient Israelites were, and we may not experience the fear that they did when their nation was under attack by, by Egyptian or Babylonian armies. But we do know what it's like to live in a world threatened by chaos. We're still under threat by powers that are beyond our control. Disease, addiction, job loss, death that comes unexpectedly. We still live in a world where those in power often use it to their own advantage, and those without power are just left to fend for themselves. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come, because the reign of God is good news to a world in chaos. You know, it's interesting, in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee by going around and proclaiming a message of good news. And his message, Mark says, his message was this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Luke begins his narration of Jesus' ministry a little differently. He also says that Jesus was going around and teaching, but then he gives us one specific example of that teaching when Jesus went into the synagogue of his own hometown and he opened up a scroll to the prophet Isaiah and then he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, when Jesus was done reading, he sat down and he told them that Isaiah's prophecy was being fulfilled in their midst. Now, when you read these two different stories from Mark and from Luke, they sound like very different descriptions of Jesus's message. Mark says that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, and Luke says he was talking about good news to the poor and freedom to captives and sight to the blind and liberty for the oppressed. But in reality, in both cases, Jesus' message is the same. The good news that he brought was the news of the coming of God's kingdom and the consequences of that kingdom. The effects of it included everything that was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet that scroll that he read. And Jesus did just preach about this kingdom. He also illustrated it. That's, that's what Jesus was doing when he was going around healing the sick and freeing people from demonic oppression and raising the dead and forgiving sins. Those weren't just random good deeds. 
They were illustrations, pictures, examples of all the ways in which God sets things to right when he is king. That's what we're asking for when we pray for God's kingdom to come. We're asking for him to be our king, for him to put an end to the chaos of our lives, for him to set all those things to right. But as I said before, that's a dangerous thing to ask for because it comes with a cost. When Jesus went around preaching about the kingdom of God's coming, he wasn't just announcing good news. He was also asking for people to do something in response. Matthew provides a, a nice little summary of what Jesus was asking for in his own description of Jesus's early preaching. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why does Jesus pair his announcement of God's reign with a call to repent? Because if God is king, then that means that we must obey him as king and live in the way he desires. That's the cost of having a king. A king brings protection and blessing and justice and liberation, but a king must also be obeyed. That's why Jesus couples the petition for God's kingdom with a petition for obedience. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to ask God to bring the blessings of his rule, then we have to also ask for his will to be obeyed. You can't want the benefits of a king without having a king's authority. And so we ask not only that God be king, but that all, all on earth bow their knee and all submit to his will and authority on earth as it is, we say, in heaven, which is to say, may God's will be done with the same speed and the same joy and the same sincerity in our own lives as it is by the angels in heaven. To quote St. Augustine, the angels in heaven serve you, let us serve you on earth. The angels in heaven do not offend you, let us on earth not offend you. Let us do your will as they do it. So what are we asking, if not that we may be righteous? When we do the will of God, then his will is done in us. Is that something that you are willing to ask for? Are you ready to let go of being your own authority, to living how you want? Would you like to live in a world in which God is king? It's a dangerous request. You are asking for the end of the world as you know it. But if that's what you want, then by all means, pray as Jesus taught you to pray. Ask for God's kingdom to come. Ask that his will be done. And ask in confidence. Because we know whether we ask for it or not, the Lord is king. And his kingdom is coming. The only real question is, are we willing and ready to be a part of it?